We're looking at God's Word this morning from John chapter 21, and we'll begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 17. I've called this sermon, this message, How Jesus Healed Peter. And the healing, the depths of that healing is something that I want to I dig into this morning. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it on the, on the net on the right side of the boat. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about, about a hundred yards off. When they got out <clears throat> on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. This is the reading of God's word this morning. <clears throat> now, this account of the radical heart change that happened to Peter is one that happened to one of the most outspoken and impulsive disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> one who was 
still unprepared for work in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is going to do for him now is what I would call a radical heart surgery, a surgery that must have been, well, extremely painful for Peter. But in the end, it was a gift that brought him tremendous healing and wholeness, such as he could have not found in any other way. It's that surgical procedure that Peter often referred to as a gift. He calls it the gift of repentance. For us to understand this gift of repentance, I would like to show you that God's promise of forgiveness only comes through this idea of repenting, of turning away from our sin, acknowledging it, and asking God for his forgiveness. It's owning up to the seriousness of our sin and confessing, I have sinned before God and against others. If there were any question about the fact that forgiveness works, I don't think there would be any reason for us to confess any sins. For why would we? We're just implicating ourselves in having done something or had something wrong in our lives. It would be only to incriminate ourselves. But there is forgiveness with God. And I find it so interesting that the Apostle Paul, actually, or Peter rather, is himself referring to this as a gift from God. In Acts chapter 5, Peter is speaking to the Sanhedrin. Now this is the same group of men who had just weeks before sent Jesus to his death. Peter is now standing in Acts chapter 5 before the Sanhedrin, and he's saying to them, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand of the, as prince and savior so that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. You hear that? God gives repentance to Israel and to us. Both repentance and forgiveness, then, are gifts from God. But Peter, for him, the initial experience of this gift on the shore of the Sea of Galilee did not feel like such a good gift. It was more of a painful surgical procedure, as I like to think of it. He endured it so that the gift could be opened. And what a difference it made in his life. That's what I want to look at this morning. Let me show you. Most of us know that, that Peter was probably the most impulsive, the most self-possessed, the person who was afflicted with the most pride and self-esteem issues. He was always asserting himself, pushing himself all the way into others' lives and in front of the line. And Peter, Peter was, well, Peter. The clincher, though, the clincher that demonstrates what Peter was really like happened to demonstrate the sin that was beneath Peter's sinning. Jesus had explained this earlier to the disciples, that he knew that they, as he was going to be handed over to his enemies, all of them, all of them were going to deny him or run away and hide. But you remember Peter interrupting Jesus' own words, and he's saying, not me, Lord. <laughs> no, not me. I'm, 
I'm not like all these others. I will never abandon you, even though I must die with you. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, insisting, oh, Peter had his rusty little sword. He was ready to, uh, to go out and fight for Jesus. He would, he would do anything to be the hero. But you remember what happened that night. As, G, as Peter was audacious enough to follow Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, and he's standing around this little charcoal fire there, warming himself. And it was a, a, a little servant girl who comes to him and says, uh, weren't, weren't you with Jesus, this Nazarene? And Peter says, no, no. And again, and again the third time, and it says that, that, that Peter, with, with curses, may God condemn me to hell if I know anything about this man. And we are told that as this happened, these words came from Peter. Two things happened. Number one, he heard the rooster crow, just as Jesus said. And the second thing, Peter looked up from the little fire that he was warming himself and looked up to where he saw Jesus. And Jesus was looking at him. And Peter knew that Jesus knew what he had just done. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Bitter tears. That was the shocking truth of his own human condition. The truth of the inner being, the sin that was beneath his sinning, as he was just doing. He had done the very best that he was going to promise that he would never do anything to deny Jesus. That he was better than all the other disciples at this. That he was strong enough and brave enough to be right alongside of Jesus when he entered into his kingdom that he would have the place of honor. That would be his goal. He had, even in his own mind, switched places with Jesus, or at least made himself equal to him. The sin beneath his sinning. And Peter is now the most miserable person in the world. Now he knows the true condition of himself. And worst of all, he knows Jesus knows. The secret is out, and Peter is crushed, spiritually, mortally wounded, as it were. The Bible says that he went out and, and wept bitterly. Can you imagine that, Peter? But you know, Peter is really just a picture of every one of us as we stand in our relationship to Jesus. We can't hide our sins from God. We stand before him as the one who knows how evil-minded we are, how full of audacious pride, how reckless, how unloving. And when we come to that realization, 
it hurts, it does. So what can heal Peter? I find it interesting that every one of the four Gospels tells this story that we just read this morning. All four of them. And I can imagine Peter saying, oh, come on, guys. You know, do you all have to put this on the headlines of every newspaper, what happened to me at the shoreline? But I don't think Peter would do that. Because Peter knows, Peter understands that this gift that he receives from Jesus is something that was the most precious gift of all, the gift of repentance and forgiveness. And so Peter can say over and over again, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. He healed me. He restored my soul. And here we learn how Jesus goes about doing that. Let me show you three things. First of all, Jesus opens surgically. Secondly, he cuts deep into lancing the poisonous abscess within Peter's life. And thirdly, he heals through the gift of repentance and forgiveness. And so many of us today would say, oh, come on, you know, is, is all this repentance talk so necessary for us? We've been forgiven, we know that. And there are people who would say, you know, what people really need is the gift of encouragement. They, they need the, the gift of being able to say, you're okay. Don't worry. You're, you're good. You're, you're able to handle things on your own. The I can, you can, we can attitudes that are pervasive in much of modern psychology today, advocates that says, we can do this if we or I or you think positively. But let me just say, all of that is simply naivete. Nothing works. Nothing works like honest repentance before God. If you think that you have to choose between repentance and real life, you really don't understand the gift of repentance. This is the deep healing that Peter was going to need if he's going to be in any kind of relationship with Jesus. It's important that we see how Peter is dealt with here. How does Jesus go about bringing this gift to Peter? In dealing with Peter, Jesus must first open the wound. Now, we dislike the thought of that a lot. I. I do not like to see surgeons with their scalpel held over somebody's leg or their body. I don't even like to watch it on television. I get the willies, you know. I'd make a terrible surgeon. But you, you understand that that's what Jesus is doing to Peter. We have to watch as Peter and Jesus are standing there and as he performs this surgery right there in front of all the other disciples. I can only imagine how Peter must have felt after, even after the resurrection. Peter felt like he was on the outside looking in. Oh, he had been to the tomb. He had believed in the resurrection after he was told and had seen the events himself. But there was still something of a distance. Jesus had to say to Mary, you know, you go tell the disciples and Peter I'm going to Galilee, and I'll see them there. A special invitation for Peter. Jesus understood he was feeling outside. He was a man 
in hiding still because he knew that Jesus knew what he had done. And he was alone. Some of us know that feeling. After all, what kind of future can we have if we are such sinful people and we know it? That's the effects of the sin and guilt in our lives. So when he announced to the other disciples that he was going to go fishing, the other disciples said, well, we'll go with you. Maybe Peter was thinking, well, that's going to be the the whole end of my career with Jesus. I'll just go back to what I know. I'll go be a fisherman. But I find it terribly ironic, I think, that even after one night of fishing, Peter and the other disciples had caught nothing. They were even terrible fishermen. And then it was before the sunlight broke that Jesus stood on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and asked them, have you caught anything, boys? Throw your net on the other side. And then there was this huge catch of fish, an amazing result. And when John recognized it was Jesus, he says, it is the Lord, and and impulsive Peter, I can only understand Peter that way, still impulsively pulls on his cloak and jumps into the water and and wades to the shoreline. And and yet, as he comes to the place where he sees this, this familiar pile of coals, just like it was in Caiaphas' courtyard, and he sees Jesus standing on the other side looking at him, he is instantly reminded of the event that happened a few days before, and he stands there almost paralyzed. What can he say to Jesus? Can he say, oh, it's okay, I'm, I'm okay? No. He knows, Jesus knows the depths of his sin beneath his sinning. I can imagine that, that Peter stands there somewhat stunned as he looks into the face of Jesus once again. He can't forget. It's too big. So what does Jesus do? Does he give him the cold shoulder? Does he, does he let him just suffer in his guilty silence? Does he treat him like it never happened? Oh, it's bad, but what's done is done. No, no. Now, Jesus directs Peter to the surgery, and he opens the wound right there on the shoreline. Peter, do you love me more than these? He's not talking about love me more than fishing or love me more than others. Do you love me more than these other disciples who you said, even though they run away and hide, I'll never do that? Do you, Peter? Can you say that you are a better follower than these other disciples? And Peter can say, you know I love you. Again, Jesus says, do you love me? And the third time, do you? And Peter was hurt. He says he was deeply hurt because Jesus asked him that third time. And yet it was necessary, you see. The wound is open. 
Now the procedure, though, is not over, you see, because the surgeon cannot stop simply by opening the wound and uncovering the abscess. The abscess needs to be lanced. It needs to be drained. The poison has to come out. The question that Peter has to have in his own life is, what is the root of my sin? I'm calling it the sin beneath our sinning. The root of it all. What is it, Peter, in you that made you think that you were able to stand against the temptations, stand up against the threats of your own life being taken? Jesus doesn't ask him about his sin, his sinning. He doesn't say, Peter, are you ever going to lie again? Will you ever swear and call curses down on you again, Peter? Are you going to give up on your cowardice and finally become brave enough to stand up against those who are against you? Are you ever going to run away and hide again from the enemy? You see, Jesus is not looking at symptoms. He's not asking the question, are you going to do these things again? But he's asking the question, do you really love See, that's the greatest of all the commandments. You shall love God and love your neighbor. And the most important thing that Peter had to understand is uh, that's even questionable. I know that as a parent of three now grown daughters, I spent far too much time addressing symptoms rather than causes. I addressed those things having to do with what they had done, not why they had done it. You know, sister, it's wrong to lie, right? Yeah, I know, Dad. And you know stealing is bad, right? Yes, Dad. And if I ever catch you with your hand in the cookie jar again without asking, you're in trouble, sister. Yes, Dad. But we never talked about what's the cause Do you not respect authority? Are you so selfish as you would steal from others? You see, that might do for children to guilt them with the sin. But the commandments, the commandments of God go far deeper than just our sin, our sinning. It it goes into the heart of the issue. And so we have to ask ourselves as well, what is it that makes my sinning so simple? My lack of faith and trust in God, is that what motivates me to lie, to cheat, to take advantage of others? Is it just my self-vaunting pride that gets in the way and, and makes me a brutal person? Am I switching relationships between myself and God, thinking I have to be in control of my life? That's the root of my sin. I don't want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So I'm still in rebellion. You see, Jesus cannot bring real healing to our souls until he comes down to the depths of our being and exposes that kind of hurt that kind of brokenness. 
And so he says to Peter, he doesn't say, you going to tell the truth from now on? No. He says, do you love me? And he's probing deep into Peter's soul, so he gets down to what's called godly sorrow. There are two kinds of sorrow, you know, in the Bible, two sorrows. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about a godly sorrow that brings repentance and leads to salvation. And then there's a worldly sorrow that brings death. 2 Corinthians 7.10, a worldly sorrow that brings death. Think the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow is, is this. A, a worldly sorrow is sorry because of the consequences of sin. I got caught. And now my sin is costing me personally. As someone put it, I was heartily sorry for my sins because I got caught, and now there are consequences I must pay. But that's just a superficial sorrow. Pastor Tim Keller tells the story of a man and his wife who came for marriage counseling, and the wife said, you know, I'm, I've got my bags packed. I'm ready to leave this man because he is abusive, he is demoralizing, he verbally abuses me day by day, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And the husband, hearing this from his wife, says, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I, I won't do that again. So she agrees, and they leave the office, and they go back to their home, and a couple of weeks later, she's back again, along with her husband. And she said, he hasn't changed. He's still doing the same things he always did. He's still the old, abusive self once more. And the husband responds by saying, but I repented. And the counselor says, no, no. You, you were sorry because of your losses. You were sorry because you recognized that you were going to be embarrassed by the fact that your wife has left you with the kids. And you're going to be financially hurt because of all these things that are going to come down on your, on your marriage. You didn't want other people to know. And you were feeling sorry for yourself. But you weren't changed. You see the difference? If a person only responds to his or her own hurts, look at my sin and what it's done to me, that's not godly sorrow. But godly sorrow is the kind of sorrow that David had when he understood his sin and he cried out to God, God, be merciful to me. Search my heart and see if there's any sinful ways in me. Clean me from the inside out, and I'll be clean. It's not that we've been hurt or that we can shift blame onto other people, but we acknowledge our bitterness, our anger, our self-pity, our hatred of others. We don't make excuses for ourselves saying, well, you know I had a bad childhood and you provoked me to anger. You did this to me. No, godly sorrow is genuine sorrow, a deep conviction 
that my hurt, the hurt that I have caused others and offense to God is serious. So the sin beneath our sinning, that's what we're talking about. So in Peter's case, Jesus is not saying, you see what you have done. You've hurt yourself. No, do you love me? And then when it's all finished and the wound has been opened and the lance of the bitterness has come out, look what Jesus does to Peter. He brings healing. This is the last step, the words of healing for Peter. Upon hearing Peter's godly sorrow, his repentance, that's a gift. And Jesus says to Peter three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. (laughs) You see, Peter thought somewhere along the line that he was going to sit right next to Jesus on the thrones, that he was going to be the prime minister, perhaps, in the kingdom, that he was going to be the manager over all this that Jesus was going to do, especially now that he's raised from the dead. Look at what we could do together, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, well, well, wait a minute. I want you to be a shepherd. Just a shepherd. You take care of my sheep. You make sure the little ones are well cared for. You do that, Peter, and then you will have received your real assignment for the kingdom of God. And Peter comes to understand that, that real repentance leads to forgiveness, and forgiveness opens the door for real service, and he's lost this sense of importance in himself. Without that, you see, Without the gift of repentance, we either turn into people who are filled with despair and self-loathing, and we think of ourselves as being unworthy. We, We can't look up and face Jesus ever again because we're so sinful, so bad, and we live in that self-hatred. Or, or the second thing that happens is we we say to ourselves, you know, I will I will make up for this failure of mine. And I will never do those things again. And we become people who are inflexible, people who are intolerant, and people who are totally legalistic. Because we're going to keep rules, you see. But what Jesus wants us to do is to love him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Feed the lambs. Take care of the sheep. Be a servant of one another. And only forgiven people know how to do that. And so it's Peter who can later write, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's almost, well, it is, that Peter was born again to a new hope. The gift of repentance. If there were no forgiveness on the other side of repentance, I would suggest that 
you never repent of anything. Don't admit to anything. But because there is forgiveness, make it frequent. Keep a short list and go deep, deep into the heart to ask the question, what is it in my heart, my spirit? Cleanse me, Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, for the reminders that we are your people, that you call us into a relationship with yourself that allows us to enjoy fullness of joy in your, in your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go from here, we go with the assurance that God is with us and that his promise is true and he will abide with us. Abide with me, fast falls the evening time.